Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. So Timothy had to learn, he had to step up. And so now Paul has sent him back to Ephesus. And we know that in the first three verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says, this is why I sent you to Ephesus. A young teen raised by his mother and grandmother and mentored by one of the greats. That's Timothy's story. What developed between Timothy and his mentor, the Apostle Paul, was a close father-son type relationship. With Paul imprisoned for preaching the gospel, Timothy had already been stretched out of his comfort zone as he stepped up into leadership. What was coming for Timothy was going to be quite the challenge. So Paul wants to equip his young charge as best he can for what's to come. Tonight is the final in Dr. Corbett's four-part series on the life of Timothy. Let's join him now for his final instruction to Timothy. When you come, bring my cloak. Father, as we open your word, we pray that your word will open us. We pray, Lord, that as we look at the life of this young man, Timothy, that, Lord, we'll see through Timothy, we'll see the fingerprints of the Apostle Paul on him, shaping him, helping him, passing the baton to him. And behind Paul, we'll see Christ. And that, Lord, as I share this word, may I become increasingly transparent and may people see Christ. Today, Lord, speak right into people's hearts. The questions that people have got, the questions that people have had, your presence can answer those questions today. And Lord, as we open your word, make it clear to us and make it really clear to us what we've got to do as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen which means let it be, let it be. We are looking at Timothy, and there's not a lot <clears throat> that uh, is known about Timothy. Timothy's not one of the most written about guys. So let me give you a little bit of a, a reminder. Around 45 AD, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went to a place called Lystra in Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is what we call Turkey today, that region of Turkey. And Paul was also a Turk. Uh, he was a Jew, but he was also, he was born in Turkey. And he was born not too far away from where this place of, of Lystra is, a place called Seleucia. And so Paul went there and it was a pretty dramatic entrance that when he and Barnabas came in, they gathered people and just began preaching. They just began talking to them about Christ. And, and there was a, a lame man whom they healed. It was pretty dramatic because he was lame from birth. Dr. Luke, who writes the story of Acts, tells us. And People saw this and they began to proclaim that Paul was uh, Hermes, uh, which is the god of Mercury, and, and uh, Barnabas was, was Zeus, the chief of the gods. And, and so they began to protest this, don't attribute this to Roman gods, attribute what we've just done to Christ. And that led to a bit of an uproar and, and shows you the fickleness of the crowds because within no time at all, in anger at the rejection that they had ascribed to Paul and Barnabas. They dragged Paul out of the city and stoned him to death. And the believers who had, in the days that Paul had been there, brought to the Lord, gathered around, and it must have been a very simple prayer because they probably hadn't done believers class at that point. They certainly hadn't been through the how to raise the dead class. So they just gathered around and asked God, would you 
please bring him back to life. And Dr. Luke tells us that it's worded something like this. They supposed he was dead. Then they prayed for him and he stood up. And doctors don't usually get that kind of assessment wrong. And Paul left and there was probably this young kid, probably maybe 13, 14 years of age or so, watching all this, seeing the blood-stained Paul, because when we say stoned, we're, we're not talking pea shooters, we're talking baseball-sized rocks, in amazement, as you would be, wouldn't you? I mean, you've just seen someone raise, you know, raise a layman from birth up who Dr. Luke, you know, with his jaw dropped, says this guy was born lame and he not only stood up, he leapt up. He not only leapt up, he began leaping around. And this would be utterly amazing, especially since he was an older man and and young Timothy, for all the 13 years he'd been on the planet, he'd seen this guy, he knew this wasn't a show, it wasn't a put on. And it made a huge impact on him and particularly what happened to Paul. And in a moment we'll, we'll see Paul reminds Timothy of that moment he says to Timothy you you saw what I went through to promote Christ so that was around 45 AD Paul and Barnabas continue to travel and they have a little bit of a falling out when they get back to Antioch and and they say "We, we should really go back to these churches that we planted so here we are now five years later around 50 AD and he goes back to Lystra and the believers who have established the church there Paul is told by them, you know that there was a young boy here who you made a huge impact on. His mother is a Jew, his grandmother is a Jew, his father, we don't know where he is, but he's a Greek and he's, he's, he's not a good man. But this young boy, Timothy, has really grown in leaps and bounds. And so we, we really think you should just have a talk with this, this boy. And so he does, and and he's tremendously impressed. So in Paul's second missionary journey, you can see the missionary journey in the red, and the the arrows tell you the direction. By the time he gets to Lystra, he has a talk to the now five years, so three, so he's about 18 years of age. Um, Timothy, do you want to come with us and travel? Now, by the way, uh, Paul and Barnabas had that, Dr. Luke describes it as a sharp dispute. And... They separated. So this is now Paul and Titus who are traveling through this region. And so Titus and Timothy and maybe Silas joins in are now traveling. And this is actually going to be an interesting point I'll I'll bring out in a moment. So the relationship that began at that point, that bond, Paul describes as being the kind of relationship that a father has with a son. And Paul doesn't give that description to any other relationship apart from when he describes his relationship to entire churches. He, he describes them as being in a, a father connection with him. And this relationship with Timothy was very, very special. Now, Timothy became, he became such an in, invaluable member of the team that Paul says that he essentially could not do what God had called him to do unless Timothy was helping him so this was a I I think a beautiful picture of how God takes our strengths and and fills our weaknesses and you know what we call that marriage 
That was meant to be profound and funny, but it was because how many times do opposites marry? Has any woman married someone just like themselves? Rarely. Anyway, it's God meeting lack and the strengths still there. And, and this relationship, Paul was the, we get that impression of what he was like, strong and driven. And, and Timothy was a gentle soul. So when we ask, well, and I've asked, I've done a bit of a survey. And as Reese says, you know, he hasn't checked with the ABS. And I haven't checked with the ABS either on this. But the three people that I've asked in my research of uh, what is generally known about Timothy, there's not a lot generally known about him. But when we actually stop and just consider what Paul writes to him, we get the impression that, that Timothy was not like Paul. He was not like Paul. And yet Paul was his mentor. And isn't that interesting how God brings people into our lives who aren't like us? Sometimes when we have edges that need you know, smoothing out, God brings people like Sister Sandpapers into our life. <laughs> Catherine. And God, you know, was it, uh, God will bring people into our lives that will rub us the wrong way. Anyone ever experienced the rubbing the wrong way? <laughs> Maybe it's God. <laughs> Tom did you just say that was Jeff but Tom what you need to know is that's God's appointment for you brother it's uh, not that you've got many rough edges in you but Jeffrey will find them so anyway so Paul isn't able to do what he could do and did do because of Timothy and, and Timothy at, at the same time is being shaped by Paul because as we'll see, Timothy was not a natural leader. Paul was, but Timothy wasn't. And the more time he spent with Paul, the more he was challenged to come out of his comfort zone. You know, what do we call comfort zone? We call that doona, you know, like, just leave me here and let me be. But Paul challenged Timothy to come out of his comfort zone. And that's really what a good pastor will do too. So if I've ever challenged you to come out of your comfort zone, thank you. You're welcome. Because that's my job, isn't it? It's to mature us. And, and you, you don't get mature unless the eagle, you know, you know how mother eagles work. They make a nest out of twigs, not the fluffy stuff that you see birds who, who nest their young lower to the ground. Eagles make it out of twigs. So right from the start, it's not comfortable for the eaglet. And then there comes that point where the young eaglet gets its wings and then the, the mother uh, eagle starts pulling the twigs out, you know, like that game of kaplunk. You know, and it's like, uh, Mummy, what are you doing? Uh, you'll see. But Mummy, we're right up high on this cliff face. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, you'll see in a moment. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. So the next time you pray a really courageous prayer that sounds something like this, Oh, God, I want to serve you. Please use me. Ha! <laughs> All the best. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because you know how God answers that prayer. He takes you seriously. And you'll find yourself in a place where the nest gets uncomfortable and the nest is deteriorating and you're, you're out of your comfort zone. But this, as we heard this morning from David, it's when you think you can do it and you've got it all under control, well, who, how can God use that? How can God be glorified in that? Because someone will come up and say, well done, and you go, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Whereas... 
If you didn't have the strength, you didn't have the ability, you didn't have the resources, someone comes up and says, well done, and you say, you know what, if it wasn't for the grace of God, and God gets the glory. So here we have Timothy being shaped, he's taken out of his comfort zone, and I think there's two, there's two factors that caused Timothy to have to step up really quickly. We've got uh, Paul, who is, we, we read in Acts, from about Acts chapter 21, Paul is imprisoned. Well, he's taken prisoner. No, no charges are laid, but he's taken prisoner. And he appears before Herod, uh, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is telling Felix, the Roman governor, he hasn't done anything. And he says, well, well, we'll just leave him there just in case we can figure out what he's actually being accused of. And then eventually another governor comes along by the name of Festus. And he keeps Paul prisoner for two years. And Dr. Luke says, because he was hoping for a bribe. And in that period, Paul is writing letters to churches. This is in, now in, uh, we haven't got the map, but Caesarea, which is sort of northern Israel, where the Romans had their headquarters. They, they didn't headquarter in Jerusalem although they had a fortress right beside the temple called the Fortress of Antonia. And here's Paul who senses that, look, I think God's purpose, well, and he, he says, I know God's purpose is for me to go and stand before Caesar. How does he know that? Because in Acts chapter 9, remember when he was knocked off his horse? You had Ananias, a believer in Damascus, who was told by Christ, go and tell Paul he must stand before kings and emperors well there's only one emperor so Paul knows he has to stand before the Caesar which at that time was Caesar Nero so he appeals to Caesar and this begins the journey to Rome now what Acts doesn't tell us and what hopefully you've heard now and you've come to realize Paul is in Rome uh, Acts Chapter 22 finishes at AD 62. And it tells us that he was there for two years in prison. So he gets there in AD 60 or so and he's there till the end of AD 62. What we don't get told and Paul increasingly becomes aware of because the Spirit of God is telling him he is going to stand before Caesar. He's going to bear witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ he is going to pronounce to Caesar these Greek words, and excuse me, I don't normally speak Greek. Christos hokurios, which means Christ is Lord. And you might think, oh, that's a beautiful fridge magnet. Not when the Roman mantra was Caesar hokurios. Caesar is Lord. And that was a statement of worship. And Caesar demanded it. And anyone who did not declare Caesar Hokurios could be executed. And Paul declares, Christos Hokurios, Christ is Lord. And what I need to tell you is that in AD, late AD 64, Paul is taken to the Praetorian Guard of Caesar. He's held there perhaps unbeknownst to him another of his colleagues Peter is brought in and Peter is brought before Caesar as well and Peter quite possibly tries to defend himself before Caesar and Caesar just commands his death 
And that's when Peter was crucified upside down in mid AD 64. So the end of AD 64, Paul and the Praetorian Guard may not have been aware of this, may have been aware of this, but come late 64, early 65 AD, Paul is pronounced to be executed and Caesar Nero in AD 65 commands that Paul is beheaded. Don't give him what he wants, death by crucifixion, behead him, just behead him, get him out of the way. So these two factors necessitated that Timothy had to step up. The first thing was Paul was in prison. He couldn't get around to the churches. He could send letters to them and Timothy initially was one of the the messengers with those letters. And then secondly, these churches grew phenomenally and none more than the church at Ephesus. We read in Acts chapter 19 that the church at Ephesus, its foundation was 12 men. Within a few years, that church of 12 from 55 AD or so through to 64 AD had grown to some 6,000 people. This is phenomenal growth. But you know, as we've looked at, whenever there's growth, huge growth, dramatic growth in numbers, what is there? There's problems. There's going to be problems. And this is actually, I think, a challenge for us, isn't it? Do we want to see our church full on a Sunday? No, no. Is this on? Let's try that again. Do we want to see every empty seat here on a Sunday, and we've got another 50 or so beside here we can put them out we've got 350 seats out now we can put 400 out there we can have 100 overflow do we want to see all of these seats full on a Sunday let's try it again absolutely and guess what's going to happen when we see that problems Problems. hallelujah glory to God isn't that wonderful some of you going no (laughs) but we need to emotionally get ready for it it's kind of like you ever seen the uh, the dash cam on a rally car where they're driving and they're about to go around a bit and they're going up the hill around the cliff and you can't see the bend. But then you hear on the dash cam, hard left coming up, three, two, one. You ever seen that? And the guy just has to turn without even seeing where he's going to turn. And it's actually really cool to watch. I would hate to be in that car, but it's a really cool thing to watch. And I think when the Spirit of God prepares us and says in three two one this is going to happen oh here it is there it is problems look at this problems just walked in and right now we have problems in our church we have challenges we have problems and we're only where we're at now imagine what's going to happen if we see more well the church at Ephesus had problems it had all kinds of things so Timothy had to learn he had to step up and so now Paul has sent him back to Ephesus And we know that in the first three verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says, this is why I sent you to Ephesus. So Timothy's based at Ephesus. When you're reading 1 and 2 Timothy, you're actually reading an epistle to the Ephesian church. As I said to you, the coldness at which Paul writes to Timothy, having already described him in the other epistles as his beloved son, his most trusted servant, his most valuable colleague. And then he opens in, you read it in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of God to Timothy. It's like me saying, I gave the illustration to Kim, you know, I write to Kim, I write to Kim. You know, instead of just going up and talking to her, you know, I am your beloved, awesome husband. Now listen to this, wife. Trust me, it's not going to go down well. So 
when we read First and Second Timothy, we're actually reading what I would suggest to you is another set of epistles to the most written to church in the New Testament. That's Ephesus, because it's written in Ephesians, it's written in Acts, Acts chapter 20, there's a letter to the Ephesians, and first to second Timothy, and then in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, is a statement to the Ephesians. So here we go. So Timothy discovered he had to step up, and he had to step up, and he discovered that that takes you right out of your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable. You feel close to breaking point. You feel like you're at your limit. That's what that feels like. Anyone ever felt, don't show me your hand, but if you've ever felt like that, God's using you. God's using you. So here we have Timothy chapter 4, part 4. And this is called, When You Come, Bring My Cloak. And I'll just tell you as a by the way, I, hermeneutics, there's another word, means how we interpret scripture, hermeneutics. And hermeneutics says this, One of the ways we have to interpret scripture is not look at it through our eyes. We have to look at it over the shoulders of the original readers because it looks different. So for example, I've asked people who have taken a very wooden, literal, ignore the context, take it as I understand it approach to scripture and said, do you think we should take every word of God in scripture word for word literally? absolutely they'll tell me do you think every one of those words applies to you today absolutely it's God's word then tell me how on earth do you apply 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 13 now you might think how did you know that well because I use it so often I can parrot it off 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 13 do you think that verse applies to you or is that the one verse that doesn't and people generally go what does it say because who knows what 2 Timothy chapter, so I can hear some people flicking to it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 4 verse 13. And it says this. When you come, bring the cloak. Bring the parchments and bring the scrolls. Who thinks that verse applies to them? I mean, how on earth are you going to find them in Troas? That's where Paul says, I left them in Troas. Could you go and get them, please? That verse doesn't apply to us. It can't apply to us. Can you see? We have to read scripture looking over the shoulder of the original recipients in order to understand it. Does that, I hope that makes sense. All right. So Timothy had also recently been imprisoned. So Paul was imprisoned. He's going to spend some time in Rome and eventually he's going to die. And he's going to die months after writing second timothy and in that time we don't know what the occasion was but we know that timothy was imprisoned himself so now i wonder how you would feel if you were timothy you know i didn't sign up for this is that what he's thinking but we know this because in hebrews chapter 13 and i'm going to suggest to you That Hebrews was written in 63 AD. These dates are important. I'm not just spouting them off because I'm trying to give you a history lesson. I want you to understand these dates are really, really important because something happened in 64 AD. I've already given you a clue as to what happened. Nero flicked a switch. In 64 AD, Nero set fire to a temple in Rome. 
And he burned it down. Why? Because he wanted to build a temple to himself. So he burnt it down. And he blamed the Christians. And he began saying, round them up. Kill them. Get as many as you can and kill them. I don't care where they are in the empire. Kill them. So it became illegal by threat of death to declare Christos hokurios. And Nero began killing Christians by the hundreds of thousands. In 63 AD, months before this broke out, now this, look over the shoulder of the people who received the epistle to the Hebrews in 63 AD. And hear the writer to the Hebrews say this, as you see the day about to approach, keep gathering together. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. Do not neglect to gather together as you see the day approach. And we all think, oh, that must be the end of the world day. It's, you know, like, what is it, another few hundred years off. It's, a, it's No, it was months off. And the day approaching was the day they could be rounded up by the Roman authorities and executed. That was the day. And so Timothy had been imprisoned. The writer to the Hebrews I think that the strongest case we can make for the writer, it wasn't Paul. And we know it wasn't Paul because the writer to the Hebrews says, I've been taught these things about the gospel. Paul would never say that. The writer to the Hebrews is almost certainly Barnabas. A Jew, Barnabas was a Levite, very familiar with the things of the law of Moses. So almost certainly it was Barnabas and here's Barnabas saying in Hebrews 13 23 I'm hoping to come to you with Timothy well why wouldn't Paul go with Timothy because Paul was in prison and Paul would never get out of prison and I think this is a beautiful picture of Barnabas Barnabas wasn't his name by the way that was the name the apostles gave to him anyone know his name Joseph, well done. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. So now Paul writes to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So he's got word, words got to him. Timothy's just been imprisoned, been given a hard time and he's just come out. And Paul writes to him and says, come on Timothy, you've seen what I've gone through. I need you to share in these sufferings. He goes on and says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is not a message that's going to sell many paperback books today, let me tell you. But this is what Paul is writing to Timothy. So the great advantage that Timothy had in order to face this suffering with the delight and joy that only God could bring was that he had a mentor like Paul. Paul was authentic. Paul was the real deal. You know, I've, Kim and I have served, uh, we, we served three successive pastors and I don't want to sully them. You, you, you won't know them. But we served a pastor who committed adultery with women in the church and we, we, God took us out of there and we went and served in another church as youth leaders. Now, this is in Victoria, that's all I'm going to tell you. And that pastor embezzled in, in one year, in addition to his salary, something like $80,000 from the church. And we're mortified. We're in our early 20s and we're watching this conduct. 
And then we went and served another pastor who, shall we say, stretched the truth a lot. And then God took us out of that and we were able to plant our own church in Melbourne. And, and, and you know, those, those things, I've seen people see exactly what we saw and they go, oh, forget it, you, you guys are just, you're just hypocrites. What's this about? It didn't do that to us. What it did was it said, don't be like that, Andrew. <laughs> don't do that. Don't play around with the girls, the gold and the glory. Don't do that. And Timothy had that advantage. He had someone who was really authentic. Because Paul didn't serve God for money, the fame, the prestige, all the girls. That wasn't his motive. And I hope it's not your motive either. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And isn't that a great thing to remember as you come in on a Sunday? Okay, it's not about whether the preaching's good, it's not about whether the music's good, it's not about whether it's not about whether it's hot or it's cold or it's this or it's that. I've got to remember Jesus. See him, remember Jesus, Paul says to Timothy, which I am suffering, for which I am suffering, bound with chains. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Timothy Part 4 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the relationship bond that had formed between Paul and Timothy was like that of a close father and son. Paul sensed his life was coming to a close and wanted to give young Timothy his final instruction and encouragement. The next period in Timothy's life would become increasingly difficult for him and as it turned out, was to be a period of heavy persecution for believers under Caesar Nero. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.